Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I don't know how many mainstream NBA fans truly care about the Atlanta Hawks. I know the attention given to them in Atlanta has never equated with their success, And when they weren't good, the going was really rough. My wife is from Atlanta, so I've gained a lot of insight into the makeup of the city from my in-laws and my family visits. But even before I met her, my sense was that it was, first and foremost, a college sports town. Maybe because my in-laws are North Carolina grads, that's coloring my perspective. But I have the sense that a lot of ACC grads wind up settling down in the Atlanta area and keep their rooting interest for their alma maters fresh. Football, of course, is king, especially with Georgia now dominating college football. And the Bulldogs campus is less than two hours east of Atlanta. But when Georgia Tech basketball was a perennial top 20 team, this is back in the 90s under Bobby Kremens, even they seemed a bigger deal than the Hawks. But I'm going to talk about the state of the Hawks right now anyway, because one, it's one of those topics that I promised that I'd hit that I never did, and because they are both a strong reflection of how challenging it is to build a successful franchise and how a lot of teams seem to be going about it. You've heard, it, heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. The only way any franchise has continued success is if the owner, the general manager, the head coach, and the star player are all aligned. The Hawks have not been that. We'll see if the recent changes that I'm going to talk about create that alignment. Because there's one other element that is vital. The people in each of those roles have to be good at what they do. Let me get one thing out of the way first. It troubles me how 
the recent regime change in Atlanta was reported. I've long suspected that reporters today are now shading their reporting in order to protect their relationships. And it would appear that a lot of that went on here. For those who haven't been keeping up, Travis Schlenk plucked off the Warriors management team back in 2017 to import the Golden State model to Atlanta, was moved from team president about a month ago into an advisory role. The explanation was that he wanted to spend more quality time with his family. Now, as someone who made a career move in order to spend more time with my two kids as they were growing up, I can certainly appreciate a desire to do that. I can also tell you that such a decision is not made midway through a season unless there's some crisis on the home front and we haven't heard one when it comes to the Schlenk family. My apologies if there is one and I'm not aware of it, but I would have thought that that would be mentioned to give this idea of why he stepped aside a little more credence. And even in a case like that, if something had happened, more than likely, it wouldn't be he's changing jobs or he's stepping down. It would be a leave of absence or temporary distribution of duties. That would be an order, not a full-scale move into what is essentially a part-time role at best. What I'm told is he's not in, in the conversation. In fact, they're putting him aside in order for him to explore other opportunities. What I'm told that prompted all this, what really happened, is that Schlank got sideways with both Trey Young, the team's all-star guard, and Nick Ressler, former head of basketball operations, now president of basketball operations, and the son of Hawks majority or controlling uh, owner, Tony Ressler. I left the family tie for last, but it's probably not last when it comes to importance. Schlenk, in assessing the team, had come to the conclusion that they should explore trading young. And that apparently did not sit well, understandably, when it got back to Trey. And it didn't set, sit well with the younger wrestler or Landry Fields, the GM and a former player who is apparently close to the younger wrestler. The deal to acquire DeJounte Murray from the San Antonio Spurs last summer was the first indicator, the first clear indicator anyway, that Schlenk was no longer in charge. It struck me at the time as a very unschlank move. Three first-round picks, swap of a fourth, and Danilo Gallinari for Murray and Jock Landell, with only Murray being retained. That is a lot for the token first-time All-Star on a losing team, which is what Murray was for the San Antonio Spurs last season. This is always a litmus. When the Spurs are ready to move on for a player from a player, when they're ready to trade him, especially a star player, buyer beware. Now, seeing his emergence and the Spurs talking DeJounte up, I couldn't help but feel that they were promoting him as a way of increasing his trade value. They've had so many winning players that they didn't go out of their way to promote because they wanted to keep them, albeit at San Antonio prices. So this going crazy over DeJounte, 
who was nice last year, but not that nice. Just didn't make sense if the Spurs were looking to keep and re-sign him. And then when I heard that DeJounte was quietly or maybe not so quietly within the organization chafing at the Spurs' method of operation, well, all of it made perfect sense that the Spurs would be willing to give him up, especially for the load of assets the Hawks were willing to give up. I didn't know at the time about Schlenk's change of heart regarding Young, so I chalked it up as a bold move by him to keep Trey happy, DeJounte and Trey being friends, or at least friendly. It actually, as it turns out, was a statement by the Hawks that they were no longer following Schlenk's lead. In fact, they were going the exact opposite direction. I actually applaud Schlenk for his thinking. I have consistently heard from scouts and GMs that Trey is not particularly liked in the, lo- in the Hawks' locker room. His teammates aren't happy with his lack of effort or ability on defense or his dominance of the ball and shots on offense. And he doesn't create easy shots for other guys. He's a willing passer, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't get doubled so hard that he creates wide open easy looks for other guys. Some of it is simply a reflection of his size. If he does get doubled or he does have a long athletic defender on him, it's just hard for him to have a clear view of the floor. It's why I kind of laugh at people who are just mind-boggled at what Nikola Jokic does. Now, not taking anything away from Jokic as a passer, but when you're his size and length and you have court vision, all the angles are different. He can see everything. And because he handles the ball so well, he can get into spaces and it just it changes the dynamic. So, again, big difference when it comes to Trey. And by the way, think about all of what I've just said in terms of how guys feel about him. And now you're going to add a DeJounte Murray who wasn't wild about the team concept or the team being bigger than the individual mantra that the San Antonio Spurs believe in. I'm not sure how adding DeJounte is actually going to calm the waters when it comes to everybody else on that team. Now, guys will put up with a lot if the team is winning. And if a player is playing a certain way, a star player is playing a certain way, if it's producing wins, nobody's going to complain on most teams. But they haven't been winning for the last two seasons, not at the pace that they were expected to, not after reaching the Eastern Conference Finals three years ago now, two and a half years ago. And uh, I get the sense that John Collins can't wait to get out of there. I've, I've sensed that for a while. I've never got the sense that Bogdan Bogdanovich was a big fan of Trey's either, just based on his body language on the court. And I say all that not to necessarily put it on Trey. There's a possibility that Collins and Bogdanovich are letting jealousy get in the way or decided they're not going to follow Trey regardless of how he plays. In, in both cases, I can't say definitively that 
Bogdan or Collins are better players than Trey. I think they're close enough in talent that they look at it and they see Trey blowing up as an all-star and an all-NBA player and all that stuff, and they're like, he's not that much better than me. We shouldn't be serving him at my expense. It's a speculation on my part. Speculation based on talking and watching and studying NBA players for 25-plus years now. But back to how the news of Schlenk being demoted, stepping aside, however you want to describe it, how that was reported. Now, if I was hearing all that I just shared with you, I know that reporters with national ties were hearing it too. But none of that was reported when it was announced last month that Schlenk was stepping aside and Fields was being promoted. And why wasn't it? My suspicions were fueled by something another national reporter told me recently. I asked him if he had voting privileges for the league's awards. Most valuable player, most improved, all NBA, etc. And he said he did not, that he had given them up about five years ago. And I asked why, and he said he did it when the league began making public who voted for whom. Players, he feared, would resent him for not voting for them, and it would hurt his access to them. I was stunned and a little disappointed, but not entirely surprised, because I've seen signs for a while now that protecting relationships has compromised what writers or reporters or TV analysts are willing to say. There's always been a certain degree of that, but it was generally by people on the periphery or with close ties to particular teams or agents. And... That was understandable because they were protecting their little fiefdom. Understandable. But national reporters and writers, we didn't need to kowtow to anybody because we had a national platform. If someone didn't want to talk to me, there was a whole array of people who did. If an agent didn't want to give me insight, wanted to feed somebody else, okay, It might cost me a story, but I maintained my integrity. And more important, I maintained the autonomy of anybody who had a big national platform. We weren't conceding because it doesn't doesn't affect me for what I do and how I do it now because I've established all my relationships. What bothers me is that it affects reporters and writers coming up because they can't sniff a breaking a story because it all goes to the national platforms who are willing to cater to whoever will give them the story and you guys all know the battle that's going on the primary players in that battle what's being done in in attempts to win the battle is sacrificing everybody else it's good for them It's not good for the business because it can't go back. Now it's always going to be catering. It's going to be whoever gives the story is willing to give the story. Well, we'll tell the story the way you want it told. And if not, I'll, I'll go to the other guy. If all of us on the reporting side refuse to cater to how someone wants the story in order to get it, then we protect each other. And that's no longer happening. And that's what makes me sad. 
about the state of the business. What does this have to do with the Hawks' recent events? Well, Trey Young is a clutch agency client, and no one has been more direct in wielding access to his clients to influence the media than Rich Paul. It has been going on at some level since 2010 and the decision by LeBron. I even know GMs who are careful about what they say about Clutch and Rich Paul for fear he will make their life difficult, particularly if that team, that GM, has a Clutch client on his roster. I don't begrudge Paul for doing it as much as I resent that reporters have sacrificed the media's collective autonomy by allowing that influence to dictate what they will and won't say. There are degrees to everything. If I have a GM or player or agent who is a trusted source, I'm not going to go out of my way to criticize them. I am going to, uh, I don't know if it's protect the relationship, but I will honor it in that I will try to explain the thinking behind whatever role they might have played in what I'm writing or talking about. I will do everything I can to give them a chance to at least inform what I'm going to say. But I'm not going to say what they tell me to say. I have never co-signed a story that I know is not accurate in order to protect a relationship. Promoting the idea that Schlenk stepped down to spend time with his family without pulling back the curtain and saying what's really going on just to keep Trey Young's part in it out of the mix or to avoid crossing the wrestler family or spoiling the chance to cultivate a relationship with Landry Fields, whatever it might be, or the new movers and shakers with the Hawks. All of that is an example of why someone wouldn't tell the entire Atlanta Hawks story. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Now, none of us likes to see nepotism at work especially in a business with jobs as coveted as those in the NBA. But the reality is the league is rife with it. I saw it at the very start of my career covering the league with Don Nelson hiring his son Donnie as an assistant coach and bringing him along when he went to Dallas, where he lasted well after his dad was fired. So it's not as if Donnie wasn't able to craft a career of his own right or didn't demonstrate that he had certain abilities. In some cases, it works out. Joe Lacob has steadily moved his two sons, Kirk and Kent, up the organization masthead. I don't know how much credit Kirk deserves for the Warriors' success, but the fact is they've been wildly successful, so at least it can be said that he didn't screw things up. Kirk is now the executive vice president of basketball operations right below GM Bob Myers on the in the front office ranks. Kent Lacob is the executive director of team development. 
Now, what I find kind of tickled me, actually, I found interesting is that if you read their bios in the team guide, nowhere does it mention their relationship to their dad, Joe, the owner. <laughs> you, you just either have to know or you have to assume, but I love the fact that we're, we're not going to acknowledge that even though everybody knows it. And hey, look, I chalk it up as one of the perks that comes with being a shrewd, savvy, and wealthy businessman, enough so to own an NBA team. You could actually say the Hawks are trying for the second time to replicate what the Warriors have done. First, it was hiring away Travis Schlenk and then drafting Trey Young, who was supposed to be the next Steph Curry. And now we're going to go the route of handing the basketball reins to the owner's son. Though this is different. That's not an exact replica of what the Warriors did or what we've seen other teams do. Jerry Buss with the Lakers, first one to employ his daughter Jeannie and his sons. But he didn't make them in charge of everything. And... He didn't give them control over basketball people. Yes, he did it in order to hang out with basketball players and the glitz and glamour and the social strata that that uh, introduced him to. Dr. Buss, that is. Who Nick Ressler relates to seems to be guiding the decisions here more so than who is best equipped to do the job. This is, I mean, look, it's a heady thing. If I was 27 years old and I had the chance to hang with former players closer in age to me than the people in the positions or that previously held those positions, uh, players who I probably have more in common socially, I I get it. I That's a, a very seductive thing to have or to be able to do. I can't help but believe that that's what's going on here. Because look at the four people that were let go. 47-year-old Schlenk, who played basketball at Bethel College, has three kids. Derek Pierce, VP of player personnel, another married dude with kids who worked his way up the front office ladder. Steven Giles, director of pro scouting, who began with the Hawks back in 2004 as a scout. Now, none of these guys were NBA players and not players of any degree, uh, even at the collegiate level. I'm not even sure that Pierce or Giles played. Schlenk, they just say he played. Don't know whether he was any good or not. And it was at Bethel College. So, you can gauge that. The only former player who was let go was Rod Higgins, a Hawks senior advisor. And his career began and ended before Nick Ressler was born. So... If you're Nick Ressler, who would you rather hang out with? Those guys or Landry Fields and Kyle Korver, who, by the way, is being promoted to assistant general manager? Who is less likely to make you feel you're too young to know how an NBA front office really works? Schlank and company or Fields and Korver, who haven't spent much more time in an NBA front office running an organization than Ressler. You want a glimpse into where Nick Ressler's interests lie? Just check out the photos from his recent wedding. 
Trey Young is prominent in them. Wrestler also in this new role gets a chance to flex his basketball knowledge, something the average fan now believes is within their skill set thanks to the wild popularity of fantasy leagues. Can't tell you how many people I've run into, fans that I've run into, and because they're successful with their fantasy team, they think that they know more than an NBA GM, not having any idea all the things that go in to being an NBA GM or what it's like to deal with real people as opposed to just trading names and stat lines. The belief that, the, that NBA teams can be constructed based on analytics, by the way, has become more widespread as, as well. So it's not as if fans alone are, the, are believing that. That's definitely a trend. Grant Liffman, Fields' college roommate, was hired last summer as a Hawks scout after serving as a podcaster and post-game TV host for the Warriors for, I guess, like four or five years. The business is about relationships as much or more than ability. That's just the reality, and the Hawks aren't the first example of it. Sometimes it's just a little more overt. One of the moves that was not announced, but I'm told by league sources was indeed made, is that the Hawks director of scouting was also let go in conjunction with the Schlenk move. That's uh, It was never announced that Giles was let go, but that he was, and that Liftman was promoted to take his place. I can only assume it wasn't announced because it would have turned heads as a pretty overt example of a relationship being exercised to the extreme and that this was not just Schlenk stepping aside. This was a regime change. I also sense that Tony Ressler, the dad and controlling owner of the team, knows he's turning the Hawks into his son's toy or pastime, occupation, whatever. I don't mean to be demeaning toward Nick or Tony. I don't. I don't know what their track record is. For all I know, they're going to turn this thing around and they're going to make it a success. I'm willing to watch. I'm just going to tell you what I'm seeing and what's not being uh, portrayed clearly, openly, transparently. There's going to be a learning curve for sure. And I commend Tony Ressler that he handled the situation with Schlenk as he did. I have to believe that he knows that Schlenk, that this isn't about Schlenk doing a bad job as much as an opportunity to give his son the avenue to a very cool job. Because after all, Wrestler, the elder, could have simply fired Schlenk. By shifting him to an advisory role, no matter how flimsy the explanation is for why they did it, it means that Schlenk will still get paid And it enhances his chance of landing another job elsewhere. Because, let's face it, there's a stigma around getting fired, no matter what the reason may be, no matter how just anybody thinks it might be, and they've avoided that in this case. Nepotism or relationships aren't the problem with how NBA teams are constructed, as much as it is the motivation of those being placed in these plumb positions of authority and what positions they're being given or how much authority they're being given. The younger wrestler being socially attached to young is troubling because for front offices to work effectively, 
They have to avoid letting emotional ties connect their decision-making. I'm far less concerned about a son being on the coaching staff than I am someone who presides over building the roster. Cultivate a relationship with a player all you want as a coach or a player development guy or even as a business operations executive because you're not in a position to decide if that player comes or goes. Your relationship with them isn't going to affect how the team overall is built or work. And it's not that front office executives need to take a 30,000-foot view of the construct of their team and roster. They should be aware of the relationships and personalities of their players and coaches and how they all mesh. They should be around the team enough to know how the chemistry works. That was one of the great missteps of former Philadelphia 76ers GM Sam Hinkie, who never interacted with the team. And so he wasn't aware of how it was meshing. But the GM or the team president can't be attached to one particular player, no matter who it is. They have to be able to look at the team as a whole and make decisions that advance the team, regardless of who that means comes or goes. Now, when your star player is your star player and you're building around them, absolutely. Develop that relationship. Give them a say. Do whatever it's necessary to get their full buy-in. But just understand that the second that they fall off, the second that they may not be living up to being the star player, and you might have an opportunity to turn them into assets that will allow the team to have greater success, you need to be ready and willing to pull that trigger. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. And there are times where players are going to feel betrayed as a result of that. But a GM's commitment can't be to individuals. It has to be to what's best for the organization. That's what Jerry Krause was saying, the late Jerry Krause, when it came to the Chicago Bulls, when he said organizations win championships, players or stars don't. Michael Jordan took exception to that, of course. But it was misunderstood, or maybe Jerry took it too far. But the fact is, someone in Jerry's position has to approach, has to think that way, even with Michael Jordan being on the team. Now, sometimes it's a no-brainer. A team is underachieving despite having a superstar. And generally in those instances, it's not hard to see that the pieces around the superstar don't fit and need to be replaced. But in all the instances that I've seen a makeover that allows a superstar to emerge and reach their full potential, it was never because the guys around that superstar didn't like playing with him. The Bucks had to find the right pieces to fit around Giannis, but it wasn't because he was running off the previous ones. The Warriors had to find the right pieces to put around Steph Curry, but it wasn't that he didn't get along with Monte Ellis or anybody else on those early Warriors teams. The Wizards continue to search for pieces that work around Bradley Beal, but not once have I heard it's because Bradley is difficult to play with. I've heard that about Trey Young, and looking at his game, I can see why. 
He's an amazing success story as a six foot, 164 pound point guard without exceptional length or speed. And I say that because Allen Iverson was about the same height and weight, but had an exceptional wingspan and both ridiculous speed and agility. This is what always concerns me when I see a player as skilled as Trey Young was when he arrived in the NBA. He can't get discernibly bigger, longer, or faster. So how is he going to raise or elevate his game when his skills are already at an incredibly high level? That's why if Trey at this stage is not leading you to the finals, it would seem like a wise thing to look and see what you could get, knowing that building around him is always going to leave you a step short because you can't count on him becoming measurably better than what he is right now. And although the Hawks were a disappointment last season, Trey was not blamed for their shortcomings, at least not by all-star voters or all NBA team selectors in the media. That includes me. Uh, Trey was still an all-star, and he was named to the all-NBA third team. And I have to admit, I gave him a third team vote. Uh, Maybe I'm second-guessing myself a little bit for having done it, but not really. There are guards that I do consider far better overall, but they either didn't play enough games, didn't win enough games, or didn't play as big of a role with their team in winning games as Trey. The Hawks did still win 43 games despite a host of injuries. Trey being the exception, played 76 games. Now, I'd take Drew Holiday over Trey all day every day if I were building a team. But Holiday in no way was asked to do what Trey was last season. Same goes for Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz. And this may be the key lesson in all of this. Just because a guy is all NBA or an all-star in a particular season doesn't mean he's the right player to build around. Doesn't even mean that he's necessarily the best player on your team. And a case could be made that Trey Young is a perfect example. Relationships do matter in a team, maybe in today's game more than ever. Once upon a time, NBA players were conditioned to play the game and go home. Spending time with their teammates, whether it was socializing or doing business, was not part of the program. They didn't come up in the AAU culture, where the best players travel around the country, staying in hotels together, eating together, hanging out together. And so they expect to do the same when they get to the NBA. That wasn't the case back in the Bird, Magic, even Jordan eras. Didn't matter how those, as much how those players got along as long as they were dedicated to each other's success on the court. That's not the case today. So, relationships do matter. They can determine who is hired. They can determine who is signed. What they can't or shouldn't determine is who gets to stay. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United We Cast Network. And here we are, the moment which I normally advertise or promote what I'm going to talk about in the next podcast. I'm not going to do that here because I don't want to make any false promises, and I don't know yet what that subject will be. We continue to wait for the first trade to be made that I would expect is going to open up the floodgates 
And we have some interesting matchups over the weekend as well. So the NBA landscape could look very different just a couple days from now. And all I can promise is whatever it is in the next podcast, it will make you look at the league in a little different way. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.